finishing up a series called A Song and a Dance, and we've kind of been going through and kind of doing some little playing with, let me pull that down so I don't blow into that, uh, just kind of talking about some different Christmas songs, and last week we kind of went way out on a limb and kind of started playing around with her, talking about uh, Tim Minchin's Christmas song that uh, you guys are welcome not to go home and listen to it, but if you do, it's fine. <laughs> um, but we're going to kind of finish up today. What do we do when it's all been said and it's all been done and it's all over? At what point is it no longer cool to rock around the Christmas tree? When does the holly and the jolly not become the best time of the year, but becomes now the most annoying, frustrating, let's just get it all done away, let's put it back in the box and be done with it? And, and, and every year, it seems like we get to that point when we've done the Christmas tree, we've done the presents, everything's been strewn across the house, and, and now it's kind of like the kids have gone home, the, uh, the excitement's done. I mean, you don't even get to Walmart or Hobby Lobby or Joann's, I mean, it's already over. I mean, they, they've moved on. And we get to that point and we say, well, what do we do? I mean, that feeling inside, I mean, we may have had the best Christmas season of our life. It may have been the most wonderful time when we've had family together. And for a change, they actually were talking to each other and they were enjoying each other's company. It might have been that time when this season maybe... For the first time in a long time, a, a child that you've been praying for or a neighbor you've been praying for and that, that neighbor who you, you've been wanting to share the love of Christ with for a long time finally said, hey, uh, what is it about this Jesus thing on Christmas? I, I mean, it may have been the most wonderful time of the year and you might have really enjoyed it, but it's done. It's over. And so today, as we begin to kind of talk about what do we do when it's all been said and done, I'm not going to really bring up any more Christmas songs because they're done. We're over them. We're finished. Christmas is done. We, we kind of, we're moving on, right? And so instead, what I want to do is I want to bring up two stories today, and I want to kind of talk about this idea when, when it's all over, now what? We're going to start in the Old Testament, in the book of 1 Kings, um, and I want to encourage you, if you get a chance to go home and read this, read this story for yourself because it's a truly fascinating story. And it's kind of found in 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 19. And it is the story of how the little nation of Israel had gained a new king and queen. And they're, by this time, they're not so new king and queen. But King Ahab and queen, does anyone remember what Ahab's queen or his wife's name was? Jezebel. So we find King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, they've taken the throne, and they have been up to this point one of the most wicked king and queens that have ruled this little group of Israel. In fact, they had so gotten so far from God that they decided to, let's do away with this God that we've been our custom to worship, and let's bring in Baal. Now, Baal was... I was going to say he was a new religion, but he really wasn't because the Jewish nation had a problem with kind of going around in circles and they would kind of worship him for a while and God would send some judgments and a nation would come in and do all sorts. And, and God, we're really sorry, we'll never worship him again. And finally, years go by and they find themselves worshiping him again. And this is what sort of happened. 
Ahab and Jezebel brought in the religion of Baal, the worship of Baal. And, and for those of you who are not familiar with it, Baal was the God who was considered to be a God of fertility. He was also the God of thunder and storm. Later became sort of the God Zeus that we know if, if you understand Greek mythology. And so the God Baal, he, he, he was a God of fertility. He was the God of storms and thunder. And when you relied upon your crops growing every year, they were kind of trying to short circuit to make sure they had a quick way to make sure they had all of their T's crossed to make sure they were going to have a good crop. And so they began to worship Baal. And, and the problem with it was it's not just that they forsook God, but in the process Baal worship was kind of horrendous because in order to make sure you had all your T's crossed and your I's dotted, they began doing things such as sacrificing their children on altars and burning them in the fire so that Baal would be pleased and happy with them. And God was wanting to get their attention once again. And God was saying, all right, what do we got to do? And so from time to time, God would raise up prophets who would come through and grabbed the king's attention. And this time it was a prophet by the name of Elijah. Now, if you've been in Sunday school when you were growing up, you're probably very familiar with this story, but we're going to go ahead and tell it anyhow, because it helps us to understand what do we do when it's all done. So God called Elijah and God said, Elijah, I got a special job for you to do. I want you to go to the king and I want you to say, hey, you're going to be judged. Because of what you're doing, I'm going to stop the rain from landing on your crops until I say it can rain again. And so as Elijah goes before King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, and he says, it's done. The rain's done. You're not getting any more until God turns the tap back on again. And so for years going on, and we don't know exactly how many years this is, but for several years, there is no rain. The crops die. The cattle begin to die. There is no lawn in the front yard. It is dead. And pretty soon the famine begins to hit. Well, of course, Ahab is not very happy because Elijah's turned off the water. That's what he thinks. And so he begins to say, hey, if I can find Elijah, he's, he's done. And so Elijah finds himself hiding for, for quite a while. Soon, though, God says, Elijah, go back to King Ahab and tell him, we're going to settle this. And so Elijah goes back to Ahab and he says, look, Ahab, we're going we're gonna to challenge to see whose God is real. I want you to go up and get all your prophets of Baal. And at this time, there were approximately, there were two gods, uh, Baal and Ashtaroth, that, were, that they were worshiping. And there was 400 in the one and 450 in the other. And he says, I want you to gather all 850 of your prophets and bring them up to Mount Carmel. And we're going to have a showdown. We're going to stop and put our gods to the test to see who really is God. And Ahab says, well, sure, let's do it. I'll find a way to take care of you. I'll, make, I'll turn you against the people for what you've done. And so they gather 850 prophets of Baal up, up to Mount Carmel, and Elijah comes up there. And Elijah says, guys, here's the rules. What we're going to do is we're going to set up two altars. And on top of each altar, I want you to put your sacrifice on there and then we're going to pray and whoever's God answers then he is the one we're going to serve 
Sound like a deal? And of course, they were quite happy with this. And I mean, it was 850 to one and it's hard to beat that. Those are kind of good odds. And so the prophets of Baal, they built their altar. They stuck their, their sacrifice on the top. And, and Elijah said, now, 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 before you light it, here's how we know God's going to answer. Whoever God brings down fire from heaven and burns the, the sacrifice, that's the God. Okay, okay. And so they, they start. They put the sacrifice up on there, and they start to pray. And they pray a little bit more. Pretty soon they begin to chant a little bit louder and they begin to sway and they begin to dance and they begin to go around the altar. Of course, nothing's happening. And they keep going and they go longer. Pretty soon Elijah begins to egg them on a bit and it's kind of interesting, especially if you're reading this in the New Living Translation. I love the way it puts it. But Elijah begins to egg them on and he begins to say things such as, hey, hey, pray a little bit louder. I think your God is busy right now. Just just pray a little louder. In fact, Elijah really kind of plays with him because he begins to say this. Pray a little louder. I think your God's in the restroom. He he, he can't hear you. Hey, pray a little louder. I think he's gone on holiday. He needs needs to be called back home. And and pretty soon it it just kind of riles them up and they begin to cut themselves. and And we read that the blood begins to flow. And yet nothing happens. Soon, Elijah steps up and he says, guys, I think that's enough. You've had your turn. Let's see if God will answer. And so he builds an altar. And we're told he takes 12 stones, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. He puts on top of it his wood. He lays his bull that he's cut up and put on the top there. And now he says, I want to do something a little more. And so he stops and he digs a trench all the way around his altar. And he says, all right, I want you to take four barrels of water and I want you to dump them on top of the sacrifice. And at this time, as you can imagine, they are already lacking water. Water is what has caused all this problem in the first place. But but Elijah says, no, no, I want you to be clear. I want you to dump water on it. I, I don't want there to be any cheating going on. So dump four barrels of water. And so they dump four barrels of water. And he said, that's not enough. Dump four more on. And so they dump four more barrels of water on. He says, now, now, I don't think you've quite, I don't think it's quite enough on there. So dump four more on. And so for a third time, he has them dump water onto the altar. And then he begins to pray. Oh God of Isaac, oh God of Jacob, let this nation know that you are still God, that you have not gone anywhere. That you are not to be mocked. And I know I'm putting this in my own words. But, but basically he says, will you come and let your presence be known to them? And we're told that from heaven a fire came down and it burnt the offering. It didn't just burn the offering. It burnt the wood. It didn't just burn the wood. It, it literally consumed the stones. And it says it licked up the dust and the water that surrounded it. Now, Elijah says, now that you've seen what has happened, let's do something. Let's banish these 850 prophets of Baal from our nation forever. Now, that is code talk for let's kill them, okay? The Old Testament's a little bit gruesome on some of these things. But basically, let's get rid of them. They have destroyed our children. They have taken the lives of our kids. Let us get rid of them. 
And so they take all 850 prophets and dispatch of them forever. Next, Elijah gets there. He says, all right, Ahab, you might want to start getting home because God says it's going to rain. And so Elijah begins to pray, and God brings the rain. Now, when Jezebel hears what's going on, she is upset. Here is the man of God who's, who has disgraced and publicly humiliated her and her 850 prophets. And she is having none of it. And so she sends out a little message to, to Elijah, and he says, Elijah, if you don't find yourself like what one of my prophets are by this time tomorrow, you just watch. And all of a sudden, Elijah becomes afraid. Here is one of the most, I mean, when you read through the Old Testaments, this is one of those stories that stand out. It's one of those I don't know how to say it. It's one of those awesome God moments when this could not have happened in any other way. There's no, this is not one of those things you go down to Walmart and you order. You can't go to Amazon and say, I'll, I'll take the fire and, and consuming altar special. This is a God came down and showed himself in the most powerful way. And yet Elijah finds himself terrified by a queen. You would think he would be saying, uh, excuse me, I think I worship the God who uh, stops the rain and brings the fire and then causes it to rain. I don't think I'm going to be too worried about what you're going to do to me. But that's not where he finds himself. He has had the most awesome victory, and yet he finds himself at a low point in his life. Why do I bring that up? Because sometimes we find ourselves after great events, events such as Christmas, where we can have everything go our direction and great amazing moments when God seems to have stepped up and done some amazing things within our families, has shown himself real. We can come and we can worship and we can sing the songs and we can have our heart feeling full of God's goodness and blessing and greatness and then days later, it's done. It's flat can't feel him. He's nowhere to be seen. I, I know he came on a midnight clear and the shepherd sang his birth and oh holy night. And I mean, it, it was great and it was wonderful. And I had a really good time and I really felt God did something special this Christmas, but it's over. Have you ever felt that way? where you can have the most awesome victory, where God has shown up in your life, and you can praise him, and you can do everything you want to do, but it ends. And then all that is left is this like gapping big hole in my heart, and I don't know what to do. What do we do when it's all been said, and it's been done, and it's been wonderful and great, and I'm so happy, and I know he's been real, and he showed up real, but I can't find him. Well, Elijah finds himself at one of those points and one of those moments in his life. And so what he does is he stops and he says, all right, Jezebel, you win this one. And he runs. 
and he runs, and he runs. And he finds himself hiding under a bush, literally not being able to run anymore, and God has pity and compassion on him, and, and we're told that God provides a meal for him, and he says, all right, Elijah, are you done yet? And Elijah basically says no. And so God says, all right, Elijah, get up and run some more if that's what you want to do. And so Elijah gets up and continues to run. He's not done yet. He runs until he finds himself hiding in a cave and he stops in absolute exhaustion saying, God, I'm done. It's over. I'm finished. In fact, let's pick up the story because I like the way Elijah words this for himself. And so in 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 9 and 10, here's what we come to. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. They have torn down your altars and they've killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too. It's all done. God, I went out there and I proved you were God. You showed up in the most amazing way and, and yeah, it was good and it was real. But I'm done. I can't feel you anymore. I'm empty. Elijah was at that place where he had nothing left inside of him. You would think at this moment, at this point in his life, he would have been an overflowing point. He's had the noise, he's had the crowd. He's had the party in a sense. It was good. But it's over. See, that's what Christmas does to us sometimes too. We do and we do and we're planning and we're preparing and we're, we're it, it, it's going to be good. And, and it is good. And we have that moment and it feels good and we have the the services, and, and we, we read the stories, and we sing the songs, and, and the, I mean, it's just wonderful. But then it's done. As Elijah found himself worn out and tired, he is to that point that even though he has experienced God in the most amazing way, he now feels abandoned by the very one he has served. He just cannot figure out in his mind, how do I reconnect with God? And the amazing thing is this, as he's sitting there trying to figure out how to reconnect with God, he's actually having a conversation with God. It's not that God has left him. God is still there. God is still showing up in his life. He just can't see it. He can't feel it. And so we continue on in 1 Kings chapter 19. Elijah's in the struggle moment. And so God has a little bit of compassion on him. And he says, Elijah, I know you're trying to connect with me. So, so let me kind of make myself real to you a little bit. And, and here's what he says. He says, Elijah, 
Go and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, here's what I find is interesting. The Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. In other words, God says, Elijah, you want to reconnect? Go stand out in front of the cave and let me come before you. And as he comes before, before Elijah, the, the Bible says that the wind was so mighty that, that the rocks on the hills began to shake and began to be loosened and fall down. I mean, what an amazing experience. And Elijah says, what does he say? But the Lord was not in the wind. Nope, God, I don't, I don't see you. <laughs> I've seen the wind and the fire before. I, I, I've been there. We had the noise. And so he says the Lord was not in the wind. And so after the wind, God says, all right, Elijah, stay there a moment and let's see. And he takes the very ground he's standing on and he begins to shake it. And Elijah says, I can't feel you, God, in the earthquake. I can't, I can't feel you. I, I, I don't, I, I know you're real. I'm not trying to say you're not real, but, but I can't connect with you there. And after the earthquake, there was a fire. And once again, Elijah says, but God, you're not in the fire. As God passes before Elijah, Elijah experiences a storm. He experiences an earthquake. He experiences a fire. And although all these things are impressive, Elijah cannot get his heart to reconnect with God through all the noise, through all the action, through all the stuff that's going on. You see, he'd already experienced that. That's what Mount Carmel was all about. It was the big and the powerful, and, and yet he couldn't do it. And finally, God says, all right, Elijah, let's do one more thing. And in 1 Kings 19, verses 12 to 13, here's how the story kind of goes on. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. And Elijah says, I can hear it. It's quiet. Still, there's no fire. There's no wind. There's no earthquake. There's a calm. And he wraps his face in his cloak and he goes out and he stands in the entrance of the cave. And a voice asks him the same question he's already been asking him. Elijah, what are you doing here? You see, it wasn't until Elijah heard the silence and began to recognize the silence that he began to have an appreciation of God's presence once again. I'm going to go to a second story real quick, and we're going to just kind of keep this moving right along. In the New Testament, we're told of a second story, which is different, but it's kind of got a similar feel to it. Jesus had his 12 disciples, and he began to send them out, kind of in the region around. And as he began to send them out, he says, all right, I got a, I got a job for you. And as I do it, this is the most strange thing that I'm going to ask of you, but I want you just to follow along with me. 
I'm going to send you out to all these little towns around us, but I don't want you to take any money with you. I, I, I don't want you to spend money so that you can go out and buy food. You just, just leave your money at home. Leave your purse at home. Your wife will take care of it. She's got to feed the kids, so you just leave it at home. No, no, don't, don't, don't take with you. I don't want you to take a spare change of clothes with you. If your clothes get dirty, I'm just that's too bad. You're, you're going to go just as you are. And as you go into these different towns, I want you to do something. I want you to begin to tell them of what you've experienced in Jesus. I want you to kind of tell them what you've seen going on around here. And that's not enough. I want you to actually then to do stuff in my name. I'm going to give you the ability to put your hand on sick people and heal them. And I, I want the places you go and the people you run into, I want them to provide for you. I want this to be a lesson in how you can learn to trust me in every situation, no matter where you find yourself, that, that I will be there to protect you and I will help you and I will take care of you. Now, I'm sure as the disciples were getting ready to take off, they were thoroughly confused by this because this is the strangest holiday they'd ever heard of. And so as they take off, they begin to go in through all the different communities and we're told they were given power to heal the sick and, and cast out demons. And pretty soon they began trickling back in. And as they began to come back in, they were very excited. I, mean, I, can, I can imagine they were, they were hanging around and guys, you got to hear what I just, you know, we were in that little town of Beth, Bethesda. And there was this, this, this child who was sick and we put our hand on him and, and, and they got better. And it, it was the most amazing thing you've ever seen. And you wouldn't believe the people that, that gathered around that listened to us. And it was exciting. And I'm sure there were high fives going around everywhere. And as they do, Jesus begins to say, all right, I think this is interesting. But now I've got an interesting job for us to do that you may not understand right now. You see, in the moment, we kind of think to ourselves, it's going so well. Let's keep this thing going. Jesus, send us out again. Tell us what, what other town we can go to. Where, 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 you know, what other people can we lay our hands on and heal them? Let's keep this ball rolling. I mean, we got something good happening here. I mean, the people are listening, and, and they're excited. In fact, they're so excited, they followed us back to, to talk to you. Jesus says, uh, yeah, it's getting to be too much for you. And we read about in Mark chapter 6, verse 30 and 31. It says, and the apostles returned from, to Jesus from their ministry tour and told them all that they had done and taught. And Jesus said, that's awesome. Let's go out and hit some more towns while we're on a roll. No, that's actually not what he says. He says, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. Jesus was at a place where he was ready to reconnect with his followers. But there's too much noise. There were too many people. There was too much adrenaline going on. And I'm not exactly sure why Jesus used this moment exactly. 
Maybe he already knew back in the hearts that if we're not careful, we find ourselves in these moments. Even though everything's going well, we're ready to abandon him because it's gotten too hard. I'm not sure. You see, in both of these stories, there's a lot of noise. There's a lot of crowds. There's a lot of people. There's great victories. There are wins and wins and more wins. But Elijah found that even after the, the best win you could ever imagine where God shows up in a big way, it's easy to lose sight, to feel abandoned, to feel lonely, to feel hurt, to feel lost. And as the disciples are sitting there, and I think Jesus, I don't know whether Jesus was thinking back to Elijah, because I know he was there at the time, but, but as Jesus is sitting there, he says, now guys, I need you to learn a lesson. Now is the time to reconnect. Let's take a moment. Let's put everything aside. Let's stop thinking about the winds for a moment, and let's reconnect let's find a quiet place let's let the noise be a background let's remember it for what it was it was a great victory it was a great moment but now we need to reconnect it doesn't matter how well you've seen God show up in the past it doesn't matter how awesome things have been if we're not careful we will lose that connection point of what and who we are. Look, Christmas is always going to be busy. In fact, life is busy. You know what's funny is we were in the other day, I, I can't remember what shop we were in the other day, but there are already Valentine's stuff out on the shelves. I mean, Christmas hadn't even happened yet. Life has this way of blurring from one event to another. Your life is full of big moments. It's not just Christmas. It's a wedding. It's a birth. It's a family reunion. It's something. Your life will be full of big moments and big events that are exciting and fun. It will be the holiday. It will be the, and it will just be something one after the other. And it will be good and it will be real and it will be fun. And you may see God show up in an amazing way and do something exciting that you have not experienced before. But maybe it's time to come away alone with him and reconnect. And so as we kind of come to the conclusion of our Christmas season, I've enjoyed it. I love Christmas in Pensacola. I mean, the weather is about as good as you can get anywhere. This is perfect weather, slightly cool. No snow. I mean, you can't beat that. 
The lights in downtown Pensacola during this season, I mean, it is some of the most, literally, Pensacola downtown is probably one of the most beautiful cities. I, I don't know. Maybe it's not. I just know I, I'm pretty impressed with it. It's a beautiful place to be. We've had great services, and I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed our Christmas season. I've enjoyed having the Christmas Eve service and just having the, everyone show up and being family, and I, I love it. I love the fact that my boys are home for Christmas, and it was quiet, and, but it was beautiful. It was wonderful. But now maybe it's time to get alone and reconnect with the one we actually say we serve. Maybe there's a moment where you just need to stop and say, you know what, I need to get away down to Starbucks. I need to get down to Bon Beans. I need to get down to, uh, I don't know, Dunkin' Donuts, Krispy Kremes, and just sit there by myself for a moment. Pull up my Bible app and just read my Bible app for a moment and just have a time of talking to him. Maybe you find yourself at that place. Or maybe it's feeling a little bit empty, like, okay, it's done, and I don't know where to go. Can I just say, get alone with him and reconnect. Look, there will always be another fire. There will always be another windstorm. There will always be another earthquake. There will be another great event where God will show up in a big way in your life if you let him. But you will find you will reconnect with him more in the quiet moment and spaces of your life if you allow him. So, the song and dance is done. No more singing. Thankfully, no more Christmas carols. Now, let's get alone with him. Father, this morning, Lord, I know in all of our lives, things get so hectic, things get so out of control. And Father, even though we see you show up in big ways sometimes and do some amazing things that that we can look back on and go, wow, that was just God showing up in such a neat way. And I, I don't know how he knew and I don't know how he did, but God, thank you. But we find ourselves even in these moments, sometimes feeling alone and abandoned. And so I pray, God, help us to know how we can reconnect to our Savior. Lord, you did not come to leave us abandoned. You did not desire that we no longer feel you. But, Father, you desire that we connect. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed real quickly, I just want to ask you a very personal question. We talk about reconnecting with the Savior. But I want to ask you a personal question. Have you ever connected the first time with Him? Has there ever been a point in a time in your life where you simply kind of, in a sense, put your hands up and say, God, I can't do it. It's too hard. God, I just ask that you come into my life and I'm just going to trust you. I'm going to give you my life and let you do something in my life because I, I can't do it running too long and too hard. Father, 
I'm just going to give you my life. I'm going to trust you with my life. Help me learn to follow you. If you've never done that, you can do that right where you're sitting today. Maybe you're already a follower of Jesus Christ. Maybe we're coming to that place where we're just needing to find that quiet place to come back and rest. To connect again. To get alone with Him. To get away from the crowds. To get away from the noise. To get away from all that which consumes our mind. You say, God, I want to connect with you. I want to experience you once again in my life in that quiet way. Father, thank you for the season. Thank you that we do come to a Christmas time that we can celebrate your birth and all that you've done for us. Father, you are a good father and you have shown up this year in the most unusual way. And Father, we would never have planned this year the way you have. But Lord, we know you are still God. And we just ask that after this season with all of this noise and everything that's gone down, gone down this year, may we learn to simply get away with you and to rest and to put our hope and trust in you are once again. Thank you for your love. Thank you for watching out for us. Thank you for your goodness in your name.